Welcome to another oddly proportioned episode of Save Station Radio, where this week we will be talking about Little Nightmares 2, once again developed by Tarsier Studios. I'm your host Dustin, and with me is Connor. Hello there. Released uh, for the PS4, Switch, Xbox One, PC, and Stadia on February 11th, 2021, so not that long ago as of recording, Um, you have in here PS5 xbox series is that like a confirmed port or is this just backwards compatibility stuff uh i believe this is a confirmed port that they are working to make versions specific for those platforms uh no date on that yet though so huh interesting i wonder who's doing that yeah that's curious yeah as i said earlier developed by tarsier studios published by bandai namco just like the first game and Let's get right into it with some background info. What did you manage to dig up this time around? Uh, quite a few things, actually. Last time I mentioned that Tarsier Studios worked on a game called The City of Metronome prior to getting picked up as a sort of supplementary team for Sony, and then they did the little Big Planet stuff and then branched off to do their own stuff. Uh, so I wanted to kind of start there and talk more about uh, City of Metronome. Uh, but first I want to mention a movie called The City of Lost Children. Uh, This was a 1995 French film, I believe, uh, directed by Jean-Pierre Genoux, who also directed Amelie and Alien Resurrection. Uh, Alien Resurrection. I hear that's the best Alien film. Uh, I love it. A lot of people hate it. (laughs) Um, It's super cheesy, but a lot of people hate it. Uh, It also stars Ron Perlman as a character named One. Uh, It had a budget of, and I'm pulling this data from IMDb, and I couldn't quite verify it myself, but um, supposedly it had a budget of about $18 million, and worldwide it grossed about $1.7 million. (laughs) Yeah, big, big oof on this movie, losing about $16.3 million. Yeah, that's rough. The basic plot of this movie was that the a scientist in the future is stealing children and harvesting their dreams so that he could gain immortality. I'm sure there's like a lot more to it, and I didn't actually watch the movie quite yet. I think it's available on like Amazon Prime now, but uh, that's the basic gist. Uh, the main reason I bring this up is because there are certain like dev interviews or just maybe it was just speculation. I didn't exactly write it down, but there is. Uh, This movie has a huge influence on the Little Nightmare series and especially on the plot of the city of Metronome. So it was kind of this huge inspiration for the developers coming up. And I thought it was just worth mentioning that this existed as a fun fact, at least. No, that's super interesting. Uh, Also, just in case people may have forgotten, City of Metronome was a game they were making around the 360 era launch uh, that never made it out. Yeah, uh, we mentioned it last time, but I'll run through it again. The City of Metronome was a a 3D puzzle adventure game. It was shown off at E3 2005. Uh, Tarsier failed to find a publisher, so they eventually canned it in 2007. But there were trailers at E3 2005 and some info on various websites, and it looked very, very fun. The main gameplay centered around you playing as a character that we just knew as the boy and he was a train engineer and he had a sound recorder 
And so as the gameplay, you would record different sounds, store them in your sound recorder, and then you could use them to either fight off enemies or solve environmental puzzles and sort of figure out what was going on. You were in the city of Metronome, which was run by a group just known as the Corporation. And it seems like, from what we know, the Corporation were... Uh, kidnapping kids or just using kids' souls. They were harvesting them for power and to turn the resulting kids now soulless, they turned them into workers for new worlds that they could create. They found some machine that they could create new worlds with. So they would harvest kids, turn them into the slaves, and then use their souls for power. Uh, when they took their souls, it turned them into the metronomes, metro, G-N-O-M-E-S, uh, these little, these cute little guys with these long noses and big top hats. And they would sort of bumble around the city working on stuff. And you were set out to kind of just uh, figure stuff out as you went. Yeah, there's, uh, I'll link some, the trailer in the description. There was a teaser trailer, a full trailer. And then I found a video of a gameplay demo from E3 2005. It's just recorded off a camcorder, but uh looks super interesting uh i pulled some quotes here if you're interested yeah um that that footage is really interesting um does kind of give you an idea it does it to be fair it does seem like the kind of game that like it feels like it's on that psychonauts level where it feels like a game that would have come out not done very well but we'd all be clamoring for a second one you know what i mean (laughs) like like it feels like in 2021 that might have got to revival if that had actually made it out like seeing that footage, I'm like, yeah, I get why this didn't get a publisher. It looks super cool, but it also doesn't like it doesn't match what was popular at the time. Yeah, which is like the main upsetting part was this it does was 2005. Have 2005 levels of bloom on it, though. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it was aiming to be a new release for the 360 and the PS3, and that was very new at the time, and they were kind of following trends a little bit, but very much oh, yeah. bucking them with like the art style in the gameplay uh actually it, it watching... reminds me of uh and i haven't played these games but like the alice madness returns you know okay yeah like it has that vibe the vibe i got from it was actually blinks the time sweeper yeah i could see that too like a more twisted like like it feels like one of those platformers that's darker than like a mario but also kind of run through a sort of alice in wonderland you know like lsd thing yeah and i was looking i couldn't find any info that there even was like a jump button <laughs> i'm pretty sure it was mostly just like adventure game stuff no, it looks like a like a 3d behind the back yeah but it definitely has that sort of psychonauts almost vibe to it yeah for sure um i pulled some quotes here this was this quote comes from xbox official magazine around the time that it was revealed uh, quote, Metronome shows that the next generation technology and originality can coexist. Uh, this quote was on like one of the promotional poster things for it. Uh, which I guess in 2005, I don't know, there wasn't really a whole lot of these weird style games, right? What launched with the consoles? Uh, I mean, what's that game? Cameo? Like, there was stuff. I wouldn't say there was nothing like it. Um, but it was definitely yeah. like an oddball for the yeah time. for sure. Um, I mean, Psychonauts was not that far off from it too. You know, that was two thousand four, I think. 
so it's not it's not crazy but like yeah yeah it's um definitely it's one of those games that even now i look at i'm like yeah i can't you know it's like it reminds me of things but i wouldn't say it's like super familiar to them if that makes sense yeah for sure uh another one i pulled this is from cracked.com and it was actually on an article they did much later i can't i don't remember exactly when the article was from but it was uh mid 2010s if i wanted to say uh prior to 2017 at least and it was a article about five canceled games or games that wouldn't see the light of day and their quote for the city of metronome was quote it looked like tim burton and hayao miyazaki transcribed a bunch of hp lovecraft stories onto their knuckles punched each other into unconsciousness and then made a game out of their ensuing nightmares which is just a great quote <laughs> like regardless of what the game is, it's very good city metronome super interesting uh as you will hear i think a lot of those ideas to translate to the little nightmare series they do very much feel like spiritual successors which is interesting also on the uh, Tarsier Studios about page and I believe this is still on there to this day they mentioned that they did the city of metronome or they say that they haven't finished city of metronome and then at least not yet is what's written on there interesting so they might have plans to return to it someday uh, I would be all for it looking at the gameplay footage I'm like I would totally play the hell out of this just because oh yeah I'm a person totally. that likes these kind of weird games but it just seems super interesting so i mean tarsier if you're listening please i would love to play it So yeah, Little Nightmares 2, what did you think? I loved this game. I didn't really know anything about the series going into it. I bought the first game for like $5 on a sale because it looked interesting. And then I knew I was going to play it someday. So I actually pre-ordered this game, a physical version of it. Having not played any of the series prior, I was like, you know what, whatever. Uh, I do not regret that decision at all, by the way. I loved this. I knew I was going to play it someday and I mean everything about this game is so like meticulously crafted in a way that shows the care put into it and I know I, I, I probably say this about a lot of games but there's something about the way this game looks and feels that feels like a its own thing while also building on everything that the first game did. It's one that I, I honestly don't think you need to play the first game before this one, but it's one that definitely is helped by that, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I largely agree. I think it is a phenomenal game. Um, you know, I assume listeners listened to the last episode where I, I had a lo- I have a lot of problems with Little Nightmares 1. like that game a lot, but I also think it's flawed in many ways. Uh, it, and I will say playing this game on a PS4 instead of a Switch really highlighted to me that Little Nightmares 1, for me, was held back by the hardware it was on that I played it on. Oh, God, yeah. I was, uh, like, Dustin in the previous episode was kind of underplaying the load times of the Switch version. I actually looked up the load times. They are ungodly long. I honestly don't know how you played that game. Yeah, it's awful, especially in a trial and error-based platformer. It was 
it the was load real times frustrating. are at least um, like 45 seconds long which when you die repeatedly it's brutal yeah i think at, at fastest i would say they were they were 15 20 but yeah they were they were rough and, and i realized that which is why i think i i tried not to concentrate on it too much because i realized like it's probably the platform i did want to bring attention to that though because you know it's important to know you know the switch version may be flawed so i was i wanted to stay away from that problem this time around and avoid the this switch version for part two for uh, from that what i've reason. seen though the switch versions load times are significantly faster for the second game i mean that's great to hear um you know but i was i was feeling a little burnt so Fair <laughs> it's enough. like yeah i i think this is an improvement even regardless though of the of the tech side of it i think on almost every aspect it is an improvement and i really ended up enjoying it and i would put it up there with some of my favorite like atmospheric uh platformer things you know up there with a limbo or an inside i think it does spectacle very well i think it really i think the thing it does that impressed me the most was take things from that first game that worked and expand on them and also drop a lot of stuff that didn't which i really appreciated again as somebody who had some heavy critiques of that first game i think the only thing that i really think it fails at is being a sequel prequel i guess technically i think it does the thing where it doesn't answer the questions that i kind of needed it to about the lore but answers questions that i didn't really feel like i needed answers to do you know what i mean like it answers the wrong questions to be satisfying as part of this series which i which is why actually i'm a little surprised you say that playing the first game enhances it i actually think it would be totally fine in a vacuum and you might actually be a little bit more satisfied um just starting with this one because i do feel like playing it i was a little frustrated about like well, how does the world work in Little Nightmares 1 still? Because I, I had misgivings about that um, from the first podcast. But other than that, I think it is a phenomenal experience that I very much enjoyed. Yeah, this is a series that throughout all three games, I mean, last week we talked about very little nightmares. Uh, throughout all three games, the story is very much not given to you at all, which if you're a person who's, uh, not a huge fan of that i could see why that would be a frustrating uh for me someone who enjoys sort of digging into the finer details and maybe crafting some personal theories about it uh, i find that super cool it has enough of like some character direction i wouldn't say like motivation straight up but just like direction that keeps the game moving but if you want to like get into the story and the characters and how they're uh, very deliberate animations in these sort of scripted areas work and how that portrays to their character that's something that you can dig into and there's a huge community for that i feel like most of the fan base uh whether it be on youtube or whatever social platforms they kind of go into the nitty-gritty to try and piece together the story uh but it's such a like interpretive story so much so that I've seen theories as to whether Little Nightmares 2 takes place before or after the first one. Like, people aren't okay, even so 100% real quick, sure. I need to defend myself, because I love interpretive stories. Um, if you go way back from, you know, almost a year ago, I love the Anodyne series because of that. I I still think Little Nightmares 1 fails at that almost entirely. I think this game does a much better job. I just think when it ties into what that first game is, I personally did not find that satisfying if they are trying to create narratives around that i didn't like that we'll expand on that later um but i i wouldn't say that just be, just enjoying that story type means you'll feel satisfied like because personally i do like theories and questioning and stuff like that um but that first game i just didn't feel like had that uh whereas this game yeah. I do you feel like does a much better job of it and overall in terms of the moment to moment plot and story 
I personally, last week, I, I think I described Little Nightmares 1 as more of a collection of cool horror art that you get to walk past and see. Um, I think this game very much is still that, but I think it ties it together with a more thoughtful uh, moment-to-moment narrative that I, I feel like is just a massive improvement um, in terms of like just how compelling it could be and uh, how interesting it could be. Yeah, I think so. And even if you take Little Nightmares 2 the same way as one where it's just a bunch of like horror vignettes that you get to play through. I feel like if you just like that kind of thing, if you liked little nightmares one for that very reason, this is definitely more of the same. I think it has a lot of variety between that as well. Um, a lot more varied environments I find as well. And I mean, that's great too. I think there's, it's one where like, there's a story there if you want it, but it's kind of difficult to pick together. But honestly, it's not needed to enjoy the game, ultimately. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I I do disagree. I think there's definitively a story here. And I think part of that's because this time around, you are with another character for the majority of the experience. There's an AI character with you. And I think that a lot of the narrative comes through with what they are doing together. And, you know, are they separate or are they apart for sections? Um, what is one character doing while the others, you know, it's, I, I think that that really sort of solidifies the narrative versus the first game, which again, really just felt like you were walking from horror set piece to horror set piece, which I, I ultimately enjoyed, but I do feel like this, this feels like it has a lot more substance and depth to it than the, the than the previous title. Uh, I want to get into the gameplay real quick, just to talk about how like, I, I think this game really takes the strengths and weaknesses of the other one of the last game and really, um, really emphasizes what that game did well. Uh, one of the things I talked about without getting into spoilers, even though that's kind of silly, I guess, <laughs> for the last game, was uh, there's a, there's a couple of chase sequences in that game that I were like these are the best parts of the game, and this game really really puts a lot of focus on that. There's a lot of sort of uncharted style run from the thing that happens all the time that I feel like was almost always thrilling and interesting and compelling. I think this game really de-emphasizes the stealth. It still has it, but it doesn't quite have it in the same way the last game did, where I felt like the last game, it was very samey throughout the entire experience. And this one, I feel like they use it much more in the set piece sense, where with the exception of like one or two times, I feel like every time I did stealth, it felt different and interesting and cool and memorable. Uh, whereas in the first game, it felt like, okay, this is the same setup as the last room. It's like, there are counters to the left and right of me. There's a counter in the background and maybe a table in the foreground. And then I just got to stealth around it. Whereas this one, that happened like twice. Uh, whereas every other stealth encounter felt different and unique uh, for various factors. And I really appreciated that. Yeah, that was that was something I noticed playing it too, was that there's... They really de-emphasize stealth in this game. There are still moments, uh, specifically like Chapter 2 has a big moment, but like that's the only one that's immediately coming to mind. I mean, Chapter 1 is mostly stealth. Chapter 3 that also has a bunch of stealth, but but again, that stealth is memorable and interesting and also not as hard, I found. <laughs> like, yeah, I think they yeah, it's really, a lot more forgiving. Like, for lack of a better term, dumbed it down, which again, I appreciate because I, pers- I did not feel like stealth was that game's strong suit the first time around so i think they really smartly identified that and implemented that into the sequel which you know every good sequel should do and i think this game really nailed that yeah this game is a lot more about whereas like the stealth moments i feel are also pretty 
they're a lot more scripted. I feel like they're not trying to be the stealth. Like, here's a whole thing where, like, there's a couple options. It's like, okay, here's your scripted action sequence, but the action is stealth, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Where, like, you know, you'll go from stealth to chase sequence like really quickly and it doesn't ever feel like oh i messed up it's like okay we're just doing the whole thing as one set piece yeah no it feels a lot more like like an uncharted where it's it's very scripted it's very linear but that's that's what it's designed for so it's always heart pounding and always interesting and it's i think it does a really good job about you know it it does a really good job of always being visually interesting and narratively interesting uh, and I, I think that it does that through gameplay very well. And again, I think it's a massive improvement over Little Nightmares 1, which I'm, I'm very impressed by. Yeah, because I absolutely loved that first game. So having this massive improvement is just even more icing. <laughs> and again, not to say that I thought Little Nightmares 1 was a slog or anything, but I did think that there were it, there was too much stealth in that game that didn't really work for me. So like this one, I feel like is just such a a wonderful identification and like sort of deconstruction of what worked in that first game and what didn't. And and the last big addition this game adds is combat. Yeah. That's something the first game didn't tackle at all other than I guess one boss, but like that doesn't super count. I guess like a slight bit in the DLC technically, but yeah, it, there will, it's always the same. So there will come, there will come times when you will find a weapon, which is going to be like a big wrench or something. I forget. Well, a little actually, (laughs) Something that you, as the character, it's big to you, though. And you drag yeah, it behind so it's, you. It's like a, a steel pipe or a ball-peen hammer or... Yeah. Uh, and you drag it behind you and, to, and you'll, like, I forget which button, whatever you hit, to swing it over your head. And it's a very slow arc. Um, and there'll be, you know, occasionally fodder enemies you have to fight with that. I do think it is a bit janky. But it never stays around long enough to be frustrating. So it always felt like just a kind of a... Uh, a way to change up the gameplay without without just sticking along too too long like there are only a couple sequences where i found it a tad frustrating i think whenever you have to whenever there's an enemy coming at you from the background i found that kind of hard to hit but yeah in general i i really enjoy that aspect of it as well yeah it's the kind of janky combat that um i saw it compared to like the silent hill combat where if you like you can kind of get a rhythm for it and if you're dealing with one enemy it's not too bad but if you get multiple you feel extremely weak which to be fair this game doesn't ever give you multiple like a difficult scenario where you have multiple enemies there's usually just one but it sort of has that feel where you don't fear feel super powerful but you do have the means to defend yourself yeah yeah um trying to think of anything else we could talk about without being super spoilerly um i don't know it's just good (laughs) i just want to talk about it it's just good the the big like point of contention especially right now is that it's only i mean i think it's about twice as long as the first game and the first game was only like two to three hours so this one's about six to seven maybe oh see that's interesting see to me that's a good thing because i did not feel like it was longer. It felt like the same length to me, which is like, that's a very positive. The length is a huge positive. The point of contention is that the price might not be justified for its length Mm. to some people. Full price for a physical version that I pre-ordered it for, I believe was 40. 
Uh, I see physical versions for 30 some places. I think it's 30 on the digital storefront as well. It's also weirdly hard to find if you're. Yeah, we found a, a couple at copy. our um, like retro game store, but none in town. So, yeah, I was trying. I was even looking on online and stuff. It was it was a little rough uh, to find one. So I feel like they didn't because this game was a big success. So I feel like maybe they just weren't anticipating how much of success it would be. And so there's maybe a low print run. So that might improve as the month go- months goes on. But, you know, just a heads up on that if you want to snag a PS4 copy in particular. Could find uh, Xbox and Switch copies, just not PlayStation. Yeah, so... And that might also improve once they do a PS5 or Xbox Series printing. That might increase supply as well. But the the main thing is that it is kind of pricey for its length i honestly think it was worth it just because of how much i enjoyed it but that's not going to apply to everyone so uh if you're still kind of on the fence about it i would say maybe wait for a price drop but i i don't feel like my money was wasted so no it's a it's got collectibles and stuff for so if you want to go back and you know replay stuff it's got that stuff if if that's your thing um yeah i personally feel like it's it's a really high quality experience and I, I think it's worth the money for sure but you know that's up to the individual i think it's completely fair to note the length and you know how much you're actually getting for what you're paying for i think that's a fair point to bring up um yeah let's um oh i do want to say uh, i know it's weird to talk about this in a, the video game context i think this game does a much better job with its cinematography though uh, there was just constantly like moments on the like, god oh, that's a beautiful scene <laughs> So shout out to that. Yeah. So the first game did where they had your main character in this like bright yellow raincoat, which really complemented the uh, darker environments. So you weren't really losing your character all that often. This game doesn't have that. Uh, Your main character is wearing like a dark blue coat and a paper bag on his head. Uh, But it never feels like like maybe with the exception of one moment it never feels like i lost track of him no and i think it's because this game isn't as dark as the first game like it's art style is much brighter well it's still dark it's just that it uses its lighting in such a way that emphasizes the character silhouette so there is light moments but you can always tell where your character is rather than them blending into a dark background it doesn't ever feel brighter in a way that like makes the game less atmospheric you know like if it was brighter then it would kind of lose some of its uh horror aesthetic i feel like it keeps that muted color palette that light down but in a way that emphasizes the shape of your character in the silhouette this might be because i played the switch version so therefore it's at a much lower resolution i do feel like the game is overall brighter though um, which I, that I think is, is a good thing. I think that the art, you know, I think that, you know, their artists, you know, worked around that. I don't think that that's a detriment or that just because a horror game is brighter doesn't mean it can't be scary. Um, and I think that they prove that. <laughs> like, I, I do think that, like, scenes are just more well lit in this game. In the first game, there was literally dark corners that would just be dark. And it had a mechanic where you'd have, like, a lighter to light that stuff up. This game, is, there's a there's a level where you get a mechanic like that. But, like, for the most part you don't have a light source on you and i feel like they knew that yeah well and you don't they made it so that you don't need it i think that's really impressive 
the yeah and but it still comes across as dark it's only talking about it now that i think about it. like no i i think literally it might like if we were to measure the lumens of the scenes yeah no think you're definitely lighter. right there um but it keeps it keeps it in a way i think it's also just a lot more deliberate with its light sources uh there's one moment in particular without spoiling too much where there's a light hanging from the ceiling and that light gets pushed around and just having that sort of light swinging around and casting all these kinds of weird shadows really brings home the point that they are very aware of their light sources when crafting the levels, which also having a fixed camera allows them to have a lot more control over that kind of thing. So there's a lot of moments where the light will either be backlighting the character so you get to see the uh, see the character against the background a little bit better or it'll accentuate the character over top of the background uh they're just very deliberate with their lighting and how they set it up in this game and i think that's really impressive and i think things are just smartly framed i mean it goes back to that like it's the cinematography of it all um because you don't have control over the camera i think that they it leaves them a lot of control in a way that i feel like they have improved significantly since the first game like the first game has memorable shots but like this one i felt like almost every time it was like oh man this is so well composed and i also by the way on that note one of my complaints with the last game was i felt like there there were some rooms that were just massive and uh i because of the self sequences i would sometimes get lost um or would lose the enemy because the camera wasn't showing the entire room this game does not have that problem at all never once did i ever feel like i wasn't aware of where something was or where i was so big compliments to that as well and it still has larger rooms. I just feel like they are a lot more confident with their uh, framing and lighting that they're able to pull the camera back and not have you lose yourself in the scene. So there is still those big environments, but they're a lot more cinematic and they don't require you to do a whole bunch of like tricky stuff in a large room. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, we hope you enjoyed the review section. I think it's safe to say we both highly recommend it definitely play it before you listen to the spoiler section i do think there are things to discuss theories to have we we already kind of talked about it a little bit together we disagree on the ending so that'll be a fun discussion um so yeah come back later once you finish the game we're gonna get into spoilers favorite section oh see this is tricky i think my favorite section probably which is also the hardest for me i think is probably the hospital yeah that's a good one um it's also the one where i feel like the enemy is the most unique and not sort of preying on a lot of horror tropes which a lot of the enemies do do in this game like that sort of body type with this as a spider-like creature (laughs) really really interesting yeah see but i think you're talking about the doctor specifically i think yeah i assume that's what you're referencing unless you're talking about something else uh no in the hospital i'm talking about the patients the mannequins that you have to freeze with the flashlight oh yeah that section yeah yeah i I think that's where i died the most the first time around just because i was spooked by trying to keep them in place but uh oh man what a good 
like so aesthetic. Good. I love the animation of them where they're like super jittery and not adhering yes. specifically to their movements. But uh, that moment's so good. Yeah, that that ship rules. Um, it, it makes good on that moment in the first game with all the mannequins and the uh, the uh, geisha, where I feel like this one it just like expands on that idea and makes it into a full gameplay sequence, which was awesome. I think this was also the most tense I was during playing this because not every mannequin moves. So yeah. it's like, Oh, is this one going to, is this one? No, is this, I'm going to, I'm just shining my flashlight on everything around. Like, is this one going to move? Yeah. No, no, that, that moment is awesome. Yeah. I do want to credit though. I started talking about, um, it's not my favorite sequence. So I'm already breaking it, but I did like that monster. Um, you know the spider-like features but it's uh it, it you know like normally when you see that kind of thing in horror stuff it's a little spindly guy you know not like this massive uh man <laughs> and it, it was really unconventional in a way that the rest of the enemies i didn't feel like were at all so and it, i love that really I love the out. way that his face and like body meat droops because he's been on the ceiling a long time yeah oh, yeah it's so cool also shout out to the the teacher I thought that yes. was really great. Yes. My favorite... Um, I, see, it's a hard time because the Mannequins one, you're totally right, that, that is an awesome sequence. But I really love the opening level. The, with the hunter? Yeah. Just like, it, it is so... And it, I think this game opens with such a great... Like, it's, it opens with a bang, literally, where you're, you know, doing this action sequence, running from the hunter with the shotgun. And it's like... And, and I love how it all ends when you pick up the the shotgun with six it, it delivers on that catharsis i was talking about missing from last time where i feel like a lot of times it like i wanted to kill the shelf characters because that was the character who is kind of messing with you throughout most of the experience and then we never got that chance in that game whereas i feel like this one like right away this big enemy cool is this going to be the enemy that's with me the rest of the game nope you know nope, you just 20 minutes into that sequence you just shoot him with a shotgun it fucking rules i loved it so much yeah, I love how that uh, that level, uh, much like the first game, th there's no tutorials. It's just like, okay, kind of figure out how the game works, which I love. I love kind of just fiddling with things and making it, make figuring out how it works. Uh, this first level, I think, does a great job of that where it eases you into the mechanics in such a way that feels like you're figuring it out, but also that the game is sort of guiding you to what you need to do. So when you get your first weapon which is just a stick you're not immediately thrown in with enemies you have a bear trap in your way so you have to throw the stick into the bear trap i love that um i love you know sort of that little bit of thinking out of the box where you have to pick up the shoe and throw it into the bear traps or dodge over the the like rope trap and uh, you have to kind of see it coming and jump over it or you can throw a shoe into the rope trap to trip trip it prematurely and i just love the way this level works and i love the like moments where since this is one of those sort of linear scripted uncharted style ones where they hide their little load zones they have those short little tunnels i love how those have like the roots and the dirt in them i love that aesthetic too yeah um i <laughs> like would you would you play this level though were you thinking like man you all aren't afraid of the limbo comparisons at all no this is <laughs> straight this up is limbo. hella limbo and i you know i'm sure i think i'm sure it's an intentional like homage or something but it was definitely this thing of like oh you guys don't <laughs> you guys don't mind that comparison 
I think the studios are actually like chill with each other. They both they're both from Norway, uh, or Sweden rather. I can't remember, but yeah, they're both just like okay, yeah, this is a thing, I guess. Yeah, so. I mean, it very much feels like a limbo homage, which I I appreciated. I liked, made me want to go play limbo, which is never a bad thing. That school section, man, like shout out to the designer whoever thought of like let's have these children porcelain dolls that are alive because like man no matter how how many times i hit one it always made me cringe of just their heads shattering yeah like well just the animation like it looks like a kid when they hit their heads i'm like jesus christ that's violent without being super violent yeah when you hit them and their arms like splay out oh it's it's pretty gruesome but yeah, it, it does its job. That to me is probably the most tense I was throughout the experience. Like whacking these children and it's like horrifying looking. Well, and then the moment where you have to put on one of their heads and then sneak through the cafeteria. Yeah. It's like, yeah, oh god. So and they're all running amok and being crazy. Also the first moment when you meet the teacher, and then the moment after that when she elongates her neck. Oh god, man! What a what a great idea for a teacher enemy, where it's like, oh, she's gonna peek in on what you're doing and making sure you're being a good kid, so she has this long ass neck that she could just stare at you with. Uh-huh. It's fucked up. It's awful. Also, that's a bad teacher. Leaves that class. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Leaves the class. Goes dissects frogs by herself. Or on my second round, I'm like is this a are there multiples (laughs) like i couldn't tell because she moves around pretty quick i i don't think there are because we would have seen them like the chefs but that stealth sequence by the way on top of the countertops that's the stealth sequence that made me go oh you guys thought about these and really sort of thought about how you're gonna use them sparingly like that sequence is awesome and it's incredibly linear like you can't really mess it up but um, but I loved it. I feel like it really it was really tense and smart. Yeah, same with the hunter in the swamp where you have to push the tree over and then sort of like dive under the water to stay out of his line of sight. It's yeah. a lot more deliberate as like, okay, you can't just get spotted, hide, wait for them to leave and then jump out again. It's like, okay, no, you got to like make sure you plan ahead and then sort of time your way through it. Well, yeah, and it, it's like allowing you to manipulate the environment to use as a stealth tool rather than just using what's there and i feel like it's it's really smartly designed around that um instead of like the last game where you're just like oh there's just counters everywhere <laughs> which you know i you you can levy that criticism against most stealth games but like i i think this this one handled it super smartly um did you enjoy the tv portal section <laughs> yes i loved that yes. section the one that tripped me up was the mail room there's a part where there's a like mail cart that's under a mm-hmm. ledge that i couldn't quite see yeah i think that was the sequence where i died the most well i didn't die you just fall in the pit and then have to walk all the way back up but there was a cart under the, oh, yeah where i had to you had to like pull the cart out that was the part where i just like couldn't see the cart i think it was just because of my lighting environment but um, yeah, I love the sort of mechanics that they get with the TV where, especially once you start using it to lure the oh, townsfolk God, so around. Good. Yeah. So good. Let's, let's talk about sort of broader stuff. I, I kind of alluded to me thinking this game, be a bit frustrated this game didn't answer questions. Um, and what I mean by that is like, 
that first game sets up a lot of stuff about sort of the hierarchy of this boat and all this stuff that this game doesn't address at all, even remotely. Um, which, by the way, you were right about something on the first episode. We were talking about um, how the gnomes were made from the geisha. You were totally yeah, right. Yeah. I looked that up and did a little like audio drop in the episode. So you were, you were totally right about that one, but I, st- I still think I I left that game a little unsatisfied in terms of lore stuff. And I, this game does not address any of that, which I think is a bummer. It said it's like, how how did Six get her coat? <laughs> like, okay. Um, it's a cool moment when she gets the coat, but I don't... It was not a question I needed answered. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's just a broad criticism, but it is one that I'm like, yeah, I, I do wish I had a bit more answers here rather than just feeling like this was more without you know, giving me that stuff. What did you think of six in this game? Um, I thought that was interesting, you know, cause, uh, I'm personally on the belief that the, this game is a prequel. I know there's some theories that it's a sequel to the first. I'm pretty sure it's a prequel to this first game. I, I want to hear those theories, by the way, when you're done, when you explain your point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that it's a prequel that it's a sequel i yeah i watched something about that I'm like i can't get behind this but kind of seeing how six reacts to mono the main character it's kind of interesting because she can you kind of get the sense that she knows mono has these powers that she's kind of afraid of in some way but is working in a way that benefits her just because like since mono's being nice to her and on her side she's like okay well this is kind of beneficial to me but i'm also not super attached because this is pretty scary um so her turn at the end kind of made sense where it's like okay i'm i can escape i'm done and i'm afraid of you so i'm gonna leave you here to die unknowingly causing some other things to happen but yeah i don't know i kind of liked her as a um character that you kind of see how she's messed up in a way that she believes in yeah i mean i liked her presence in the sense that like it was constantly putting me on edge knowing and it is the one benefit i think of having played that first game knowing that she is a little nightmare (laughs) i don't know you know is a little um awful child (laughs) like being like okay when is she gonna betray this kid because this kid's not in the first game so it is it is like that does leave room for that tension which i do think is good yeah well and it's like it's a character you come to trust because you know you go through gameplay things where she catches you and whatnot but then you also see moments in the hospital where she's breaking the fingers of a mannequin and you're like oh okay this is huh (laughs) yeah that's why i don't agree with you that she's scared of him because i don't think he has powers (laughs) at least yet um yeah um no i I think she's totally her motives i i they may like i i believe she was trapped in the house but i think after that her motives are totally different or she's totally selfish in their motives yeah Yeah. um whether she's afraid or not she's using mono in a way that benefits her yeah totally well, let's talk about those endings. What did you think of the ending? Um, is interesting. It's one of those endings that you kind of just think about for a little bit. You're like, I guess that's 
you know, it is an ending and you're like, okay, that <laughs> does feel like an ending. But then the more you think about it, you're like, okay, no, this kind of works on some other ways. And just the base ending, not the secret one, uh, af- which you get for getting all the glitching remains. It was one where I was like, okay, this kind of just kind of makes sense for six and mono where six just abandons mono. And then he's forced to deal with the signal tower alone and it eventually corrupts him and turns him into the thin man, whether that's the same one or a new one that's up for debate as well. But so is this, by the way, is this an interpretation of slender man? <laughs> I don't, I'm being so. completely serious by the way. An interpretation of Slenderman? I mean, yeah. it's very similar. I'll give you that. Because it looks like it. My only you know, knowledge of that character is from the video game. Uh, but it does the same staticky TV bullshit. <laughs> so to me, I'm like, oh, this is a Slenderman. This is the trope they're pulling from. But I'm, I wasn't sure. Yeah, I think it's definitely an inspiration at the very least. Yeah. Okay, so the thing we were talking about and the thing we disagree with, unless you thought about it more, um, I don't know, but you think he has been turned into a new Slenderman. I think he's the same Slenderman and it was a time loop. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Yeah, tell me about that because that seems to be the prevailing theory as well, that it's a time loop. Oh, really? See, I haven't done any looking into this stuff. So uh, the reason I think this is because, A, we only ever see one of these guys at a time. And again, as the series has proven, if you don't see two of them in the same room, there's probably not two of them. <laughs> and, and I think it's like all to do with the TV stuff, how he's always attracted to the TV. He always has to walk up to it. It's almost like he can't help himself. Because I think that's the Slenderman version of him, the older Slenderman version of him, calling him there. Um, because I think, and this is where it kind of falls apart a little bit, but I think he's trying to prevent everything from happening, like the Slenderman. He's trying to stop six and him from doing it so he doesn't end up in this loop now granted that doesn't really make sense through gameplay because he effectively kills you but whatever you you could argue that the actual best course would not be to chase them at all so i think that's the spot where this theory kind of falls apart but i do think it like makes sense as to why mono is drawn to the stuff like i don't think he has powers i think it is himself contacting himself over the you know over the tv stations Maybe he gets powers from becoming one of the Slender Man. I, I basically, basically, I think that's it. I think it's all one big loop. I don't think it's it's closed at all. Um, and I think it is himself from the future trying to prevent the events of the game. Yeah, I definitely see a lot of the points of that theory, and it makes a lot of sense. But for some reason, that doesn't quite sit right with me, and I can't exactly put my finger on why. Um, maybe it's just because I like it being a little more conclusive than that, but yeah, I don't know because another prevailing theory, and I'll talk about my own theories in a second, but the, the other prevailing one is that this sort of time loop thing also then carries over to six and the first game where the lady and six are actually the same. And Six becoming the lady or the geisha or whatever then sort of causes that as well, Um, which doesn't feel as solid as the mono thin man 
explanation yeah. does, but I can see where people are coming from, but also I feel like if that was what they were doing, then Six would have been turning the guests into gnomes at the end, right? I mean, she's still absorbing them in this very similar fashion. Because it appears that, like, the geisha can absorb people. That's what she's doing to the guests. She just fattens them up and then absorbs them. Whereas the kids, she can turn into gnomes to become slaves. Like, she has a choice. Yeah. I guess, I, I don't know. I feel like if it was a loop, though, they would have communicated that somehow. Like, Six walks off the boat in that game, right? Well, the final shot is her sitting on top of the boat as it's sort of underwater. With the lighthouse, like, smokestack thing. That's right, but either way, boat. she's not in that boat anymore. So, it being the idea of her caught in a time loop, unless game three, you know, has that implication, I could see them, you know diving into something like that but at, via the information we know now i don't think that theory makes a lot of sense personally yeah so just going off of little nightmares 2 i honestly don't know because it's a way that i i definitely see the time loop where uh mono starts in the forest next to a bunch of broken tvs one of which is working and it looks like he's come out of yeah yep so then he goes through the whole game and then at the end, he kills Thin Man and then gets betrayed by Six in the signal tower, gets dropped into the eyeball goo, and then gets put into the TV dimension where he then sits and grows into a new Thin Man or the same Thin Man. So then where in the loop does original Mono come back? <laughs> I, I mean, it's a it's a loop, right? So I think it's just it's just started with Mono in the forest. Well, that's the TV or not. Um, we don't know. Okay, because because for so here's my sort of interpretation of it was Mono is a kid who has TV powers very similar to the Thin Man, right? That's kind of just in the game. Mono uses his powers to escape somewhere using the TV. There's some connection to the comic here, but I'm not entirely sure what it is, so I'm not going to include it here. Uh, the comic has Mono escape from what looks to be the Thin Man, but it's not explicitly clear. And then he hides in a broken TV. Oh, and, interesting. But he couldn't have escaped through it because the TV's broken, and I don't know. Mm. Um the comic, I, I don't know. I'm not acknowledging the comic super much right now. So then he goes through the TV and he ends up in the forest, right? Somehow he escaped, got through a TV. Right. And we are and making the, the assumption he came through that TV. For, for me, yeah, I'm assuming that he did. So then he goes through the game periodically uh, finding the TVs and tuning them and then going into the TV dimension trying to open the door. Once he does, he releases the Thin Man. Thin Man then comes after Mono. He defeats him with very similar powers and then gets to the Signal Tower to rescue Six, rescues her, gets betrayed by her, and then the Signal Tower uses Six, or Mono, since he has very similar powers, to sort of replace the Thin Man's position as an arbiter of control over the town. So it's very cyclical, but it's not explicitly a time loop. It's just that they found a replacement. 
Why does he look the exact same, though? Because that's the Signal Tower's influence. That's why Monster 6 exists, is that the Signal Tower just corrupted him to look like that. So, here's my thing. I don't think... I don't think um, Slenderman, Thin Man, or whoever can come through the TV without help. Okay. So, I think that's... So, if, if I'm going with the time loop theory... And how that works. Because the TV dimension is weird. And I think that's that can be done through the TV dimension. That that time loop can exist. So I think that this, this thin man causes that time loop with that TV. Because I, don't, I think he knows that Mono does not know what these TVs are. Because Mono is just attracted to them no matter what. It's Six who always pulls him away, right? Yes. So... I think Six has an idea of what this is and why this is bad, whereas Mono, I think, just has this attraction to it um, because they think it's himself pulling himself there somehow through some sort of connection. And and I think that it, it takes Mono to sort of tune the signal to the TV for Slenderman to come through, which we see through gameplay, right? And so I think that's why he's next to a TV because he's hoping that he uses that TV, but he doesn't, so he has to keep trying throughout the adventure. Okay. That's my personal take on it. Um, yeah, so the TV signal uh, is being broadcast by the signal tower. I feel like that's pretty like spelled out. It's not yep. explicit, but it seems to make the most sense. Mm-hmm. And the signal tower has the ability to sort of warp things under its power. We see that with the buildings sort of bending over. Uh, and we see that with the faces of the uh, res- the townsfolk as they yep. stare into the TV. Uh, I think it's very much like the Thin Man has the ability, or the Signal Tower, one of the two, has the ability to use this to manipulate and eventually absorb the people of the town, which is what the glitching remains are. They are children who are then taken by the TV, and they leave the glitching remains behind. Right. Yeah, I don't know, because then whether or not it's the same mono kind of... Like, I could see both ways, I guess, is because there's not really anything that fully cements the fact that it's a loop other than the fact that mono and the thin man or future mono and the thin man look the same right i just thought of something uh that's why i love stuff like this by the way (laughs) yeah no i'm all about it so do we ever see aside from the first bit with the shotgun man the hunter do we ever see anybody actually kill mono or is it just grabbing him? Um, Like actually kill kill him? Yes. Like a death. Like an on-screen death. Um, Obviously not canon because the game would reset the... Like when you get caught, is there any... Like in the first game, like the patrons at the bar and stuff would like shove six in their mouth, you know? And it's like clearly yeah. that's a death. Sometimes they just grab her though. Do we ever see that happen? Do we ever see a, like a something that is definitely a death other than the shotgun? Um, I the 
the teacher does eat you at some points. Okay, shit. So I was going to say, but the teacher doesn't look like the other townsfolk. No, she has. So this still kind of applies because she could be different. So, and this could apply to both theories, by the way. It doesn't really necessarily support one or the other. It's just something else. If that TV at the start doesn't work on Mono, I think it's because that is outside of the range of the influence of the Slenderman, which is why the enemy there will kill you. But in all other instances in the city, aside from the teacher, who we agree is different, um, and the minions, who we also agree are different because they're not human, they're porcelain, um, Mm -hmm. and then also the mannequins, they are not under the influence, but every other human there is, and they don't kill you. They're just trying to capture you. Yes. So what if that is the Slender Man trying to keep Mono alive to end the loop? Uh... Yes, but he does put him in the he does try to put him in the TV dimension, but is that just for safekeeping? Like, is that just to prevent him from getting betrayed, from getting trapped there? Or is right? it a situation of the thin man can come out as long as someone stays in? So he's trying to swap places with Oh, him. I like that. I like that. And that's extra fucked up if he is him from the future trying to trap his younger self there. Yeah, and then you get into weird time paradox things. But I think that you're onto something, though, that the only ones that really kill you are different than just the normal possessed time possessed by TV folk. So another point that I would like to bring up is, and this also kind of applies to the first game, is the way certain characters will look and the use of... um the use of masks because it seems as though whether it's the signal tower or just any being of power their face in some way gets distorted mm-hmm. uh, we see that with obviously the townsfolk as they look into the tv their face like melts into itself but then there's also that pretty much every character most of the main boss characters are wearing masks. Uh, We see this in the first game with the chefs who look like they had just these melty faces, but there's a part where one of them will actually reach up under the face and like scratch their real face. Um, And then the janitor has his face mask like peeled down a little bit. So I'm curious as to if the TV signal which we also see the janitor watching in some capacity. Yes. If that doesn't distort them and then in a way of sort of fighting against that, then they make masks of themselves. Uh, There's a moment, I can't remember where, where you do see a bunch of different, this is in the hospital. The doctor is the one that's making a bunch of masks out of like skin, I guess. So then he would then sell those to, the townsfolk as a way to cover up their distorted face um we also see the hunter wearing a crude just bag mask to cover his face so i wonder if that would be them these characters then realizing that the signal tower is distorting them either destroying discarding or just not using their tvs anymore that's why we see the tvs in the dumpsters or smashed or whatever Mm -hmm. and then trying to regain some normalcy by putting on a mask or 
just leaving the city altogether and going to the Maw. Or just general protection, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which would, you know, kind of fold back into the first game with the geisha and stuff. Because we definitely see that. The other sort of theory thing that I've been cooking is uh, when you're going after all of the glitching remains in Little Nightmares 2, one of them is in a room towards the end of the game that appears to be the geisha's room. Like her apartment. Uh, There's a little, one of the little porcelain dolls. There's some pictures or whatever. I think there's also a poster of the maw, if I'm not mistaken. Um, And then if you smash the doll in there, you get an achievement that's like, that says like, have we met before? So I think the geisha was someone who lived in the city. And then upon realizing the signal tower's influence, created the maw as a way to give people an escape. How could she create the maw if she has a picture on it of it? This is after she was like planning and producing. And then these are like advertisements. Cause you also see that in the bonus ending of two, there's like a poster for it. So she would create it and then advertise it as an escape. That, that's interesting. I, I buy that. Um, so that would be why she seems to be the leader. She created the place and then is using that to, I guess, eat their souls. Like it doesn't really explain where her powers came from. But I don't know if anything does. Or why she would care. I mean, if it's just a way to lure people in, then whatever. Like, she doesn't super care if they get distorted or not. It's like, okay, I'm just going to eat them anyway. Well, yeah, but it seems like... Like, it seems like with the teacher... Like, like it seems like the people, the monsters, don't seem to be too affected, right? Yes. It's the average people who are suffering under this. So, like... If she was doing that, why would she need this whole thing? She could just eat those people. Unless non-distorted people taste better. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know either. Or maybe she wants to fatten them up to eat. I don't know. I mean, the only real, like, monster in 2 that we see that isn't, like, the teacher. Because, like, the teacher and the doctor are kind of in on it, right? But the hunter isn't. The hunter seems to be someone who realized the signal tower's corruption got a little corrupted himself and then fled the city where it couldn't reach him. That's why he's in the forest. He's on the other side of the um, little gulf or river or whatever. And he has like some broken TVs. Uh, He's also created like a fake family for himself, which is a little weird. Um, But then he has this crude mask as well to cover that up. So he sort of realized the signal tower's corruption and left. Yeah. No, I get, I buy that for sure. So then what's with the teacher and the porcelain kids? (laughs) I mean, the teacher clearly isn't human or remotely human at all. She seems more plastic, you know? Yeah. No, I don't know how she was created. She could be a mannequin created by the doctor as well. Yeah, that's true. Just a more advanced one. That's true. Yeah. And maybe the same process as what makes these porcelain dolls happen hmm that's interesting this also doesn't quite go into the lore of very little nightmares um i we're we're gonna so to open the curtain a little bit we still haven't talked about that game that'll be in between these episodes it's just the schedule thing i i don't think that game's canon (laughs) at least we're at it 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 doesn't seem it doesn't seem to match anything 
I think it is. I think it's a it's the very first canonical game. Okay. Um, but in that game, there's the craftsman, and the craftsman creates these little porcelain dolls to play with that oh, are dressed okay. up like actual kids and given clothing. And I wonder if that doesn't relate to then the porcelain school kids in two. Hmm. Okay, maybe that's a fair point. Interesting. Interesting. See, this is super cool. This is what I like. This is like we were. I don't feel like we were able to have this conversation with the first game. Like this is. This rules. I love this. Yeah, it opens a lot more questions. And you're right that it doesn't really answer any that the first game posited. But the way it kind of ties into the first game as well, I find it opens a lot of questions that just leaves room to play in. Yeah, for sure. Um, And and it just leaves room to to think about stuff, which is super cool. Anything else you want to mention quickly before we move on? No, not specifically about this game, I don't think. Cool, cool. Um, Monster 6 is awful. <laughs> oh, Monster 6 looks so cool, though. <laughs> Why does she have, like, eight elbows? <laughs> I don't know. It's so cool. So yeah, just to wrap up and talk about the series and the developer in general, because they do have a little bit of modern history here. Um, More modern than February of 2021. Well, some of this, some of this was known. Um, but yeah, talk about where this series might go. Um, so in case you weren't aware, Tarsier was acquired by the Embracer Group in 2019, the end of 2019. Um, the Embracer Group does not own the Little Nightmares IP, unfortunately. And uh, Namco Bandai owns that. So we will probably not be seeing any more Tarsier developed Little Nightmares games. Are you sure? I thought Embracer doesn't have to publish them, right? Like Bandai Namco could still publish one, right? They could, but they specifically said they were not working on it. Okay, that's fair. Um, so that's why I started talking about City Metronome. But uh, they were talking to, and I got all this information from an IGN article, by the way, which we'll link um, in the description. But um, somebody from Tarsier was like, no, we're going to focus on new IP. So their next project or projects will be new, new things not related to this universe. And I assume other licensed stuff, and I interpret that to mean probably also not City Metro, probably something just completely new, which I'm down for. Like they have, they have shown to me they make cool stuff. Um, that's not even including stuff like the stretchers and weird things they've worked on. So I'm, and, yeah. yeah, very curious to see what they do next. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a negative move for them to move on from the series, but I, I, it's a little sad. Bandai Namco did hint, um, and their hint, by the way, basically said like, yeah, we'll do more Little Nightmares. So I wonder who will make those games. Um, it's interesting, you know. I don't. I, I feel like a lot of people's reactions to that will be like negative. <laughs> Um, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, if it's cool. There's something where, like, obviously we just spent a long time talking about the story, but, like, the story isn't always set in stone. So I hope that they, if they do continue the series, they don't try to explain a lot of things. Like, kind of keep it vague, because I find that a lot more fun. Yeah, Um. so that first, so Little Nightmares 2 sold very well. 
um, which is a good thing. And I'm, that's, that's amazing. Um, good for them. I think that like that, that, that will ensure this series gets at least another entry, I think. And, and yeah, that, I mean, that's just the future is Embracer bought them, which is, I, I think that'll be a positive thing for them. I think they'll get a lot more money to create what they're, to use for their ideas. I think that's, that's always a good thing. Um, and, and yeah, I think you will see a little more little nightmares games that just won't be created by Tarsier, unfortunately. I mean, as long as whoever picks up the torch does it justice, and I'm all on board. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm totally willing to check that out. But yeah, we also have a, a couple of uh, recommended viewing options here for you. Um, some of the City Metronome stuff we talked about, there's a teaser trailer and a longer sort of gameplay trailer out there if you want to check that stuff out. It's super interesting. I recommend looking at it. Yeah, I'll also link that uh, camcorder gameplay footage as well. Yeah. God, remember that? Remember having to watch videos <laughs> that were you know, awful, awful. Um, I might so also far. just put a trailer to City of Lost Children. I mentioned that earlier. I might as well put a trailer for that. Oh, good call. Uh, and then today, while we were getting ready for this, I found a video called uh, Developer Easter Eggs and Secrets and Little Nightmares. And this is basically just a bunch of references they put in the first game to City Metronome and that VR game they made. Um, it's cool. There's no commentary, so it's basically just showing images. Like, there's a lot of pictures of characters from City Metronome up in that game, hidden in places. The device from that VR game is in there, too. So just a bunch of cool Easter egg, Easter egg-y stuff that's, that's fun to look at. There's something also in one of them, and I can't remember which little nightmares game or maybe it was a comic but um the doctor from static the vr game is like also a character in little nightmares which i thought that's was cool. pretty interesting yeah that's um, cool yeah funny streg there yeah totally um and the other thing i thought was interesting for everybody to keep their eyes on uh this is an article from i believe pc gamer yes pc gamer about some of the former developers from Little Nightmares games, and this is very recently, so people who worked on Little Nightmares 2, uh, kind of branched off, made their own studio, and they're making a sci-fi game that looks very much like a Little Nightmares game. But it's it's uh, there's no trailer or actual footage, they just have a bunch of GIFs, but it looks really nice. Obviously, we probably won't be hearing about this for a while, but just something to keep on your radar. Check out those GIFs, the art is really cool. Totally reminiscent of these games, but in a sci-fi setting, so super interesting. Yeah, well, and if you want more, um, I'll link this as well. There was a couple of theory videos that I found pretty interesting. Uh, I can't remember the exact name. I believe it's Super Horror Bro on YouTube. Um, had a couple good ones, so I'll link some of that as well. Yeah, cool. Um, lots of stuff for you to look up. Hopefully that fills the void, because those couple, I think we haven't done this section, so we got stuff for you. Yeah, anyway, well... Thanks for listening. That was that was super fun. I really I'm I'm really glad we got to the series. Um, yeah, Little Nightmares too, kind of a banger. So yeah, this was a series that I knew basically nothing about except that I was going to like it. So I purchased all of them kind of on a whim, and then yeah, turns out I did really like them. So yeah, um, if you missed it, it won't be a traditional episode. We're going to talk about very little nightmares in the Save Station report in between the first little nightmares episode in this one so go back a week you know don't expect it won't be as in-depth as this it'll just be sandwiched as a segment in there i, I an interesting game I, I will say i haven't finished it yet as a recording i do like it so if yeah, you're into a cool. fun mobile game uh you know it's fairly cheap yeah uh the last programming note the next series we will be taking a look at and i say series in quotes 
or the Prey games? Yes, games. You heard that right. Prey from 2006 and Prey from 2017. <laughs> yeah, we we wanted we've been wanting to look at this for a while. Uh, we were going to lead into Deathloop with those because of the arcane connection, and they delayed Deathloop, but we're still doing it. Yeah, so so check those out. And if you'd like to follow the show and keep up with any sort of schedule updates or anything like that. You can follow it at Save Station Pod on Twitter. Connor does a great job maintaining that account. Um, Connor, where can the people find you personally on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at Conifer SSR. See all kinds of behind the scenes uh, tweets like me and my broken 360 controllers and all kinds of fun stuff. Where can they find you, Dustin? You can find me at Dustin H Dragon on Twitter. Um, it'll be old news by the time this comes out, but I am playing Resident Evil 4 and very much enjoying myself again. <laughs> so, yeah. Thanks for listening. Hope you have a good day. And remember to be good to each other. Yeah, and take care. <laughs> <laughs>